Welcome to the Who is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk, and this is my journey as I continue to try and understand who is God. Um, and I know that he is far more than I can ever imagine. Um, I also understand that um, oftentimes I've had tests tell me that I have a big, magnificent brain. Um, I can understand uh, all kinds of things. I went to school to study nuclear engineering. Um and was given a gifted and uh, one time had an invitation to join Mensa. So I understand I have a big brain, but I also understand that I can come nowhere close to understanding the entirety of who God is. And so I understand this is going to be a lifelong journey. And with that being a lifelong journey, um, I am honored that uh, I am, am honored here to have my second international guest. Um, and um, at the time of recording, we have not even launched uh, our first, uh, we haven't put out our first podcast, so this is super exciting. Um, with me is George Markaikis, um, and he comes all the way from Greece. Um, and so, welcome. Thank you very much. I am privileged and honored to be with you. Thank you. Um, so, a lot of this is the story. Um, help us understand a little bit about who you are. Um, um, I understand that you worked in international in a in a multinational business. Your uh, college was in economics, is that right? Correct. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about your early life. When did you encounter Christ? When did, you in, when did God enter your life and, and why did that become meaningful for you? Right. Well, I grew up as a Greek Orthodox and that is a basically nominal sort of Christianity. However, as with the Roman Catholic Church, there are many who are nominal Christians, and then there are those who are believers or who end up becoming believers. And, of course, faith can be at different levels for different seasons in life. And so I started with a religious side as a child and then teenager, and basically becoming educated and coming into the world where atheism prevails and you know, logic tries to explain everything. I was in a conflict. Mm -hmm. Does God exist? If God existed, then, well, why don't we really see him? Or why is there evidence contrary to his existence? At least that's what logic dictates. But contrary to what logic dictates, the facts of my life or the events of my life indicated that there was someone with me someone over me, someone behind me, and someone ahead me, and was really taking good care of me, was really looking after me. And so... What, I, what led you to that? Well, maybe I could give you, without going into details, that there were moments in, in time, moments in my life, when my life changed because of divine intervention. It would really take too much time to go into in-depth explanations, but like imagine an encounter in North London in an evening where nobody else is around and, and you just suddenly happen to hear the voice of someone and that changes your life. Mm -hmm. Imagine headed towards an accident that you don't know it's going to happen and then without knowing why you stop your car and you go as close to the edge and you just stop your car and you don't know why I stopped. And then you realize that a truck was coming around the corner and you would have had a frontal collision mm. that would have killed you. So things like this uh, gave me the clear understanding that someone was looking after me. The same was true during the time that I was serving in the army and I was like two months before I would be dismissed because I would complete my compulsory service. And then as I was thinking, what next? What about my future? then someone took the initiative to bring me face to face with my future. You realize I'm not going into details. And so even before I was dismissed from the army, I already knew what my work was going to be, which was with a multinational company, which is originally an American company out of Cincinnati, mm -hmm. uh, for which company I worked for 14 years, at which point the Lord called me to resign from the marketplace to work as what is known as a full-time minister. 
So that in a nutshell. So so very much encountering God in real ways that were impacting your life that you could see in the moment, not necessarily knowing that it was God, but growing up apparently as a in the Greek Orthodox Church, there's teachings of God um, and the and of Jesus and a Savior, um, and so having maybe a framework to piece that together. I think it will probably give you the answer if I say this. After I had been consciously, I'll, I'll use the expression being born again, mm-hmm. okay, and I knew what had happened to me, then I started asking the Lord, when was I born again? Simply because when I became aware of the evangelical approach to conversion or what is known as salvation or spiritual regeneration, and I realized that I was one, Mm -hmm. then I thought, but when did it happen? Because I never had an experience of conversion. Right. And so as I was seeking the Lord about it, eventually, through circumstances, um, he brought me to the place where he opened my understanding to understand, to to see, to experience, to remember that I had believed, which meant I had really given my heart to him, sometime in my childhood through my participation in the Orthodox Church, not because the Orthodox Church led me consciously to what we say salvation, but simply because I had embraced the message of the cross. Mm. And I had believed that Jesus died for me, and I knew and I believed he rose from the dead. Now, every Christian knows that. Not everybody is led to the point of being born again, but I guess that has to do with the response of the heart. Right. So when it comes to what we call the moment of conversion, I cannot identify a moment in time, but it happened when I was a child Mm -hmm. or something like this. Yeah. I, I identify with that is that um, I I can remember my second birthday. I have memories um, prior to my second birthday. And in amongst those memories are having conversations with God like you and I are talking right now. Um, and so when did I come to believe in God? I can't give you a date. I can I can tell certainly tell you that as I grew older, my understanding of salvation and my need for salvation grew, but I always knew it was there. And I feel like I've always had that relationship with him um, on a, on a one-to-one basis. So I I identify with that. Well, what I can say in response to that is there was a time in my life that I was wondering if really there is God and how can I find more about him? Because one of the indications, the strong evidence that I had were, was all those encounters that I had. And, and I, I haven't really mentioned the most important encounter, and I'll, I'll say it in a minute, that it was an encounter that you just can't miss the fact that there is someone out there. Hmm. So in response to that, in response to those encounters, and in particular to that major encounter, I started reading the Bible again. I say again because I had read it as a teenager, but I had not understood anything. So when I consciously began reading it again, I was sort of complaining to God that how can these stories of the fishermen in Galilee help me in any way? I could not relate with those stories. Mm -hmm. And I heard a voice, which I cannot tell you if it was from within or from outside or whatever, but I did hear a voice and the voice said to me, George, these things are written for you. Now, after I realized that, okay, shocking as it is, and like there is no one here, but I did hear the voice. I don't know what it means. But when I started looking into the scriptures again, the scriptures were speaking to me. Mm. The stories of the fishermen in Galilee were not something that I could not identify with, but I was finding myself in the scriptures. Mm. And the scriptures were sort of a voice speaking to me about myself. And then I developed that discussion with the Lord in the sense of having the Bible open in front of me, 
me thinking my questions, sort of asking him, trying to process. And then as I would be looking into the scriptures, what I was reading was giving me the answer to whatever I was thinking. If I could give a small example. Yes, please. I was really curious. If you are a good God, then why are children born crippled or with AIDS or in conditions that they cannot help themselves? So why is there what people would call bad luck mm -hmm. or what I might call injustice? And why are some people lucky and some people are not? Right. So that was a major issue. Maybe you could even call it offense when it comes to believing in God and wanting to believe that he is good, but you can't find that good God in the facts of life, in the reality of life. And it so happened that I came across the scripture where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. And that was the first time in my life ever that it crossed my mind that the ruler of this world is not God because I had grown up believing or thinking that God is the ruler of this world, mm. that God is in control. That's what people would always say, that God is in control. And then I hear Jesus say, the hour of darkness is here mm -hmm. and that the ruler of this world is coming. And I, I started wondering, that's like very different to what I've been told. Right. In the process of researching the scriptures, I even came across 1 John 5, 19, where it says, all the world is in the wicked one, which in English usually is translated under the sway of the wicked one. And so I thought to myself, wait a minute, if God is in control, then how can the world be in the wicked one? Now, you need to understand that at that time, no one had told me about the law of sin. Mm. I knew about sin as a concept, but no one had ever explained to me the law of sin. No one had explained to me that I was actually born in sin, that sin was at work in my life, that sin had control over the world, and that sin led to death, and that I needed the divine intervention of Jesus, actually of God through Jesus, to be spared from the wrath of God, which was for the punishment of sin in the day of judgment. No one had ever told me any of those things. So, yeah, I knew about the cross of Jesus, but no one had told me that unless I believed in the cross of Jesus, I would not be spared in the day of wrath, which would punish the inhabitants of the earth for the sin, hmm. and that the love of God was in that whoever believed in the gift that God gives us through Jesus on the cross, we just automatically, instantly, spontaneously be free from the law of sin and come out of darkness and into his light. Nobody told me those things. Hmm. So even though the faith in Jesus Christ worked in me as, let's say, a point of contact and sort of authorized God to be at work in my life. Right. What was necessary also was for my mind to understand so that I could consciously make the choice to surrender my life and invite him to lead me. But here comes the fact that encounter, which I said I would say, I, I said about it a few minutes ago. I'd like yeah. to, to describe that encounter because during that encounter, I experienced something that is part of the equation, but it happened with my, without my conscious knowledge. It just came spontaneously. So what happened was this. I woke up one night. I was, I was young. I was alone. I lived alone. And um, so I woke up one night, and I did not know why I woke up. I think it was like 1 a.m. And I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. And what was bothering me, and I couldn't go to sleep, is the... I, the, the feeling of a presence in the room. Hmm. The presence was so specific that I knew it was where my feet would be at the end of the bed. I felt somebody was standing there. 
I thought that was some kind of a nightmare that woke me up, and I thought that was a carryover from the nightmare. So I got out of the room. I turned on the lights, all the lights on. I got out of the room. I spent some time outside of the bedroom. And when I thought, okay, now I must be okay, the effect of the nightmare is gone. I'm going to go back right. to sleep. But the moment I entered the bedroom, not only that presence had not disappeared, but that presence had now become like a whirlwind turning around very fast and being a light, a source of light. So mm. there was there was something that was light, that was like a whirlwind, and a tremendous force was emanating, so that as I entered the bedroom, that force pinned me against the wall, and I was pinned against the wall, and I, I, I was unable to move, unable to go anywhere. The only thing I could do was to cry. And as I was crying and crying uncontrollably, sobbing and crying, all I could do was ask for forgiveness. So everything that I was thinking at the moment, at that moment, that I was feeling convicted of being wrong, I was asking forgiveness mm. for that. So I don't know how long that went. I remember thinking at that time that that must have gone on for like 20 minutes or something. So it was not fast. So I, all these things you've ever done were coming to your mind and you were asking forgiveness? Is that? I remember asking for forgiveness. I can't remember everything that I asked forgiveness for. Right. But I remember the concept of repentance, conviction of sin, and, and asking for forgiveness. And then that whirlwind, whatever it was, it became like a breath that fell into me, fell, it passed through me. It's like, and it's as if going through me, it left behind me, even though I was against the wall. And then there I was left alone in the room, and I could move again, and all I could do was sob. And I had the feeling that my face had changed. Hmm. So much so that I was afraid to look at myself in the mirror because I did not know what I would see. Wow. It took me time to convince myself that I really must look at myself in the mirror to find out what happened to me. Because right. I knew something dramatic had happened. Well, eventually my face was the same other than that I was pale and all wet because of the tears and everything. But I still had that sense something changed. I don't know what changed. Something changed. And you were how old about at this time again? Probably around 30. Okay. And, um, and so after that, I started thinking, I must find out more about what happened. I must find out more about this other world, which is so real because I've experienced that other world so many times in my life. And it's real. I know it's real. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even told you other experiences which convince me there was another world that was parallel to the world in which I was living. I mean, some of the things, if I told you, which I won't, are spooky. I mean, they're really, really spooky. Okay. So I have to know what's happening. And I ended up eventually started starting to read the Bible. And then the communication was established through the scriptures. But then again, I know it was not my mental processing of the scriptures. Right. It was more... The scriptures were literally speaking to me, and eventually it was more like an open window that I would be seeing through the Bible. I would be looking at a person on the other side, and mm. it would go like this. I would study the Bible every night before I go to sleep, and then the next morning I would wake up, and I knew things about Jesus that the previous day I did not know about him. I would wake up with the memory of someone having spoken to me the previous night and having explained things about himself. And those were things that had been given to me through the scriptures. But it was more than that. Because I was developing the understanding of the character of the person that I was communicating with through the scriptures. And do you think that you were in this position to start having this communication relationship with God because you were seeking it? Well, what I was seeking was to find out the truth. And, of course, I, if you asked me back then, what is the truth? I would say, I have no idea what the truth is. I just think that there must be something that is truth beyond subjectivity. 
It's like the sun. I, I, I do remember thinking that. The sun is out there. Now, in Greek, we call it ilios. In France, they call it soleil. The Egyptians used to call it Ra, and they thought it was a god. Mm -hmm. Well, the time will come when we are all dead, and the sun, or whatever you call it, never asked any of us what we call it. He never asked any of us what it's like. And actually, none of us really knows what the sun is like. Mm -hmm. We just see something that emits light, heat, we know that we live because of it, but we have no idea really, really, really what it is. And it's there irrespective of our different theories about it, different vocabulary about it, different whatever people make religions out of it. But it doesn't care. We, we are dead and so are our thoughts. Mm, but right. that is still there. That's objective. Right. And I thought, well, God cannot be anything less than that. Right. Right. It's an objective reality. It's a truth which exists apart from my even capacity to comprehend, let alone opinion about it. Right. So you are starting at this point then to get a deeper perspective of who God is. Um, yeah. You're, you're starting to see his character. Um, what was that like for you? Well, it was obviously life-changing because I do remember that I started sensing in how many areas of my life I was wrong and how in how many ways I had wronged others, and mm. I was feeling not good about it. So many things that I used to be, I was now beginning to feel I, I cannot be that person anymore. I now have to be a different person. Sure. Because that person is a bad person, and I don't, I don't want to be a bad person. Now, that lasted for some time, a few years, during which time I, I realized that I need to go back to the religious expressions of God, even though I understood that God is not in the religion, but through the religious expressions of God, like people had different approaches, different efforts to talk about and communicate about this God that I came to know personally through the scriptures and through personal encounter. And look, I can tell you this. I knew how real he was because I, I like, I, I'll tell you one experience. There was this lady that we were working together and in the same company. And I happened to tell her my experience. And she said, well, then if I ask him, will he also answer me? And I said, look, I cannot tell you that. What I can tell you is that that's how it happened to me. Mm -hmm. And she had a question, which I found out later what the question was. She was having concerns about her younger brother, who I think was doing drugs or something like this. And, and so she took the Bible and she closed her eyes and she said, Lord, speak to me about my brother. And then she was there, she was meditating, then she decided to open the Bible, and she was reading, and then suddenly she looks at me, and she says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yes, he spoke to me, I, and, and, and she read what, she read out loud what she had read, and, and she knew that what she read was the answer to her prayer about her brother. So... I began to have experiences of people encountering this person that I had encountered. Mm. On another occasion, I was, uh, I was at the cashiers in, in the company building that I was working, and I went there to take money. And, and the lady behind the cashier, she obviously looked sick. And I said, what's wrong with you? She says, I don't know. I have a terrible headache. And I said, can I pray for you? She said, yes. So I prayed for her, and she, she just looks at me, and she says, what did you do? I said, I just prayed for you. She says, it's gone. The migraine is gone. Mm -hmm. So there were things like this, which left no doubt that whatever I, whomever it was that I had encountered was so real that other people were touched and communicated and received the benefit of that encounter with this person. So, so a couple things that I'm hearing here are one, uh, to rewind a little bit was that, um, 
that God had started to justify some of the things in your life, some of the um, the things that he was convicting you for and setting those things straight, and he was starting to uh, correct you a little bit in some of that? Was that also correcting some of your thinking? Well, in hindsight, I would have to say yes, but while it was happening, if you asked me back then, I probably would not be able to answer. That, that right. was a process that took me a long time to look back and say, oh, yeah, my, my thinking definitely changed. So that was a matter of, um, a matter of um, where there's a process, it seems like, when we enter a relationship with, with God, he starts to make his thoughts our thoughts. He starts to teach us to see the world the way he sees it and and think the way he thinks about other individuals, about situations. It sounds like that was starting to come about. Well, I, I think I have the right answer for this question, which does not really go back to the early stages. It's now a little bit further down the road. And and there is a scripture, which I believe is Philippians 2, 12 and 13 or 13, where it says that God is at work within us to make us want what he wants and eventually to do what is his good pleasure to be performed through our lives. Now, I experienced that in the sense that there were several things that the Lord either told me or communicated to me indirectly through the scriptures that he wanted of me, that my first response was, no, I do not want that. But in the process of time, my will changed mm. until I wanted to do and I wanted to be that which he had already wanted me to be and to do, mm. which originally I was not willing to. Why? Because I was still my old self. And in my old self, I was unwilling to let go of that which I had always known to be me. But God was subtly at work within me to transform me into a reflection of his goodwill, a reflection of what he wanted through my life, for my life. And I could take you through a series of events where I could describe that. But obviously the most profound one was when he asked me to resign from work. Mm. And my work was my life. I was very happy and very proud. I was extremely well paid for Greek standards. I was like very highly paid by Greek standards. And I, I even had a company car, a very good company car. I mean, not, not many people have a very expensive company car. And, you know, letting go of that to go into full-time ministry in a country where there is no such thing as full-time ministry, even the pastors work. Mm. There are no missions organizations. Okay, I cannot go to a missions organization and say, the Lord called me to full-time ministry. Would you support me? That doesn't exist. Mm. Okay. Okay. I mean, only very few pastors. I don't know if there are more than two or three in Greece that I know of who get paid by their churches because they have that capacity, but also mindset. Because right. most of the Greek church has a mindset that says that the pastor should not be paid for the work of the gospel. Right. Okay, so... It's a different world. It's like the exact opposite from what you know in this country. And so therefore, not having any foundation, any ecclesiastical foundation or mission organization, whatever, to support me, I, I had to literally take a jump off the edge of a cliff and trust the Lord for something that I did not know what it would look like. So, so you're in a situation where you feel God is leading you to do the impossible, um, and and you're doing. I'm just I'm I'm trying to put myself in in the shoes of some of the listeners who are like I don't even believe in God, and you're giving up a career, a very healthy salary, a, a good comfortable lifestyle, for complete unknown in an area where there'll be no income coming in. And you're going to do this for a God that you can't see, that you can't point to, that you can't show me. But I've also heard that you've said, um, not only does he talk to you, but when you talk to him about others, he acts. And you've walked others into a relationship with him where they can ask and he'll answer. 
So for you, this God was very real, very personal, very intimate to relationship with him that you had. And the listener sometimes like, how does that even happen? To a, how can I have a intimate relationship with a God who knows me, knows me well enough to gently form me into a better version of myself um, and, and to cleanse me from some of these, these past sins and, and things where I've hurt other people. Um, how can I do, how can a God that I don't even believe exists do that? Yeah. Well, there is no simple answer to it, but I can say a few thoughts that might help. I'm going to go in a way that probably will surprise you, but by the time I was ready to resign from the marketplace and trust the Lord, there is one approach, which is a crazy approach, to say that I did not need faith for it. Now, Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean? It means that Maybe let's use the example of the bicycle. They first give you a bicycle you've never ridden before, and you don't know what to do with it. Then you go on the bicycle, and you fall a few times, and you try to to get your balance. And and finally, you become so good at it that you get on the bike. You don't even need to hold the handlebars, but you not only you keep your balance, but you can actually sort of turn using your body without holding the handlebars. Right. So by that time, you don't need effort or faith that you can do it. You look at the bike. Somebody says, can you do it? Of course I can. So you just jump on the bike and you start moving around and you have perfect balance. You can even uh, make the, the, the bike turn without holding the handlebars. And you don't need faith for that. Right. You just know you can do it. So by the time the Lord asked me to resign from work, It's not really how I felt. It's what I heard. The Lord clearly spoke to me to live my work and to follow him and to follow the the work that he had given me to do. But, of course, I haven't explained in depth everything that happened. From the moment I started reading the scriptures in a way that they spoke to me, through the years that followed until that thing happened. And in the process of those years, things were growing. And things were growing to such a degree that there was a moment in time, maybe I should really tell you this experience because that was the first time that I preached from the pulpit, which was a surprising moment. I was still like at the peak of my career. I had never even considered the possibility of becoming a preacher. By that time, I had joined a church Because Mm -hmm. when I started, I was not part of a church. But by the time I had joined a church, why? Because I met with people with whom we started conversations with God. And then eventually one of them who had been an Anglican lay preacher with whom we had dinner in Bulgaria because of work. Mm -hmm. And he realized that I was a believer in Jesus Christ, even a born-again believer who was studying the scriptures and was speaking with God. And God was speaking to me. And he said to me, his name was Nigel, I remember. And he said, George, you need to go to a church where they teach the Bible, where they preach the gospel. And I said, what do you mean? What is that? What is that? Okay. So eventually I joined a church. Actually, the Lord took me through actually a series of churches, and I got exposed to the different doctrines, to the different expressions of faith. It's a long story. I'm trying not to go into the details. Now, fast forward, we go to the year 1997. At that moment in time, I'm a part of a Pentecostal church downtown Athens. I work for the company I, I attend the church. I have no interest in preaching or ministering. But I plan to travel on the next weekend. And the previous weekend, a visiting preacher in our church comes and I'm having a conversation with him. I tell him next week I will be in that place. He says, oh, I know the pastor in that place. I say, oh, great. So he gave me his phone number. So that when I went there, when I would go there, I would call him. Right. So now it's Monday before the weekend. And as I pray, the Lord begins to speak to me and he says, when you go there, the pastor will ask you to preach in their church, preach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I even doubted if the Lord spoke to me so clearly and so explicitly. I mean, with such clarity, it was like someone was talking to me saying, this is what will happen. 
Again, trying to be quick. Here comes the next Saturday. I am in that pastor's home for lunch with his wife. So the three of us are talking about God and everything. And eventually they asked me to preach in their church the next morning. And I thought to myself, wow. So I really, I really heard from the voice of God. So the next morning I'm preaching in their church. And it's the first time I'm standing on the pulpit. It's the first time that I teach something out of the scriptures. I spoke about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then I tried to come down from the pulpit and my legs were stuck. They were pinned to the platform. Mm. I could not move my body from my waist down. It was like a rock. I just couldn't move it. And I, I was like shaking inside of me. What's happening to me? And the Lord said to me, ask them to come to the front if they want to receive the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I was literally shaking. I did not know how the pastor would react to this invitation. Eventually, I had to say it because I couldn't move my body. I knew this right. was a supernatural experience. So... With trembling voice, I said, and if anybody wants to receive the Holy Spirit, come to the front. And the moment people started coming to the front, my body was released. Hmm. And so as I went down, I had not even touched the first person. I was reaching out to touch her. And suddenly she's no longer there. And I look, she's down in the ground speaking in tongues. Hmm. And I go, what happened? I'm telling you, I had never seen that. Because in the church where I was at, that had never happened. I never saw that before. Right. It was an experience that shocked me. What's going on here? You know? So I'm saying you eventually develop a trust in the voice that speaks to you because you see things happening. Mm -hmm. And so that voice would tell me things, would give me instructions, would answer my prayers. And I just knew things would happen. There is something that's missing from this equation from your listeners. And that is how many years and hours I spent studying the Bible and praying and developing that relationship with that voice. Mm, yeah, That's missing from the equation because it takes dedication. It takes consecration. It takes prayer and seeking the Lord and learning his ways, learning how yeah. to walk in the ways of the Spirit learning how to wait until you listen to his voice, learning how to seek him until you find him. And is that, uh, I was having this discussion with my wife last night about how when I was younger, I felt like I needed to have faith in God. But as I've gotten to know his character, I just know, just like if I, if I hold this pen up and, and drop it, I know gravity's going to pull it to the ground and it's going to make a clatter on the table. But as I know more and more about God, I know that he's going to do certain things and that he acts certain ways. And so it's not about oftentimes about having faith. It's about knowing who God is. And if I know that that's what he's going to do, um, I don't I don't feel like I'm stepping out in faith anymore so much as I'm stepping out just in obedience. Absolutely. That's the key word. There are times when we have to act in faith, and I can tell you some of those times in my life, but there are times when we simply choose obey or not obey. Right. But you cannot separate the two. In fact, I believe first we are tested in our faith, and then we're given the opportunity, which just takes obedience, a choice. Hmm. But unless we are first found faithful, Faith-wise, we will not even come to the place of having just to obey or not obey because it's a growing process. I feel right now like I need to share this, um, my experience this morning. Um, my day ended early yesterday. I had a migraine. I, I went home. I parked my car. I live on a, on a, on a street um, that's narrow, and you only park on one side, and so the traffic drives on the other. It... Uh, um, if someone's coming from their direction, you have to stop. Um, and as I got home, there was a maintenance vehicle parked on the wrong side of the road just up from where I am. Um, and I had this feeling as I was parking that I needed to back up. I had this, like, you need to just back up a little bit farther than you do. I didn't. I didn't listen. And as I was leaving my house this morning, I discovered my side view mirror was in a couple pieces um, and, and hanging a little bit. And I was very frustrated. I knew that if I'd listened to that voice, I, that I wouldn't be in this situation. 
I parked that car for for years, and I parked other vehicles there. And as I, I I got really upset, both with the fact that it had happened, but also the fact that I knew it was going to happen if I didn't listen to that still small voice. I didn't listen, and it happened. And I was as mad at as much about at myself, and yet after I fiddled with it a little bit, I, I have a nicer car, and so it said, check your side view mirror when I got in and put the key on. And, and I had done what I could to try and piece it back together, and over the course of the day and fiddling with a couple times, I've got the mirror back in place. Everything's fine. You can't even hardly tell that it was hit. And I think that was just God. As we're talking now, what I'm hearing is this is God saying, I want you to learn to be more aware and to listen when I'm guiding you. And it's little things like that. Sometimes like just back the car up a little bit. And other times it's this is what you need to say to this person. Or it's you need to take this route home. Or I'm really calling you to study this portion of scripture today. Um, and that was just, I just felt like I needed to, to share that moment as I'm starting to discover God teaching me to listen. I, I fully identify obey. with everything you're saying. So, so you're preaching for the first time, experiencing the Spirit. You're growing closer in your your understanding of God and in your relationship. Um, where do you feel you want to carry this conversation on to next? <laughs> I don't really know. Maybe, maybe. Are you interested in hearing about the call the Lord gave me for ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Well. So three years later, so it started summer of 97 when was the first time that I preached from the pulpit and I had that experience. And uh, okay, later the same year, October of that year, 97, I was asked if I could host a preacher from South Africa in, in my house because he would stay for a month in Greece and he would preach in different churches. He eventually preached in 40 churches and I did the translation in, in quite a few of those. And through that preacher, the Lord left me with a message, which was, I mean, he, Mike was his name, Michael. Mike told me that, but when he said it, it's not like I paid attention to it. And then that thing came up as a memory, as, a, as someone was talking to me. Hmm. And, and so what was the message? The message was that the day will come when you will stop working your secular work so that you can work for the Lord, for the mm. kingdom of God. Now, and that was that was a message. You heard it, but didn't really pay attention to it. But it took like a seed took root yes. in you. And, and what the audience, the, the listeners can't see is that you're actually motioning to um, kind of your lower chest and and. I see kind of a, an expression that it grew in you. You're, this idea. you're very accurate in your description. Yes. Yeah. So I had the message of the Lord inside of me that the day was coming when I would be called to resign from work and to pray to, to work for the Lord. However, even if I was ever consciously thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe when I retire. Sure. Okay. I, I projected that way ahead into the future. But come now February 98, and I am in Malta in, in a uh, international, almost global, European, but it ended up being almost global, Christian conference for people in the business world, which took place, by the way, in Malta for a whole week, ended on Friday. Not No details. On, on Saturday, people started talking, where do we go ch on church for church on Sunday? And eventually, I found myself without actually wanting to, organizing a church service in the hotel where we had been all the week in a large conference room where those of us who were still there over the weekend would have a church service together with a local pastor in Malta and his church that would come to the hotel and an American Assemblies of God bishop of the churches of the Assemblies of God in Malta with his wife. Hmm. So, so I, I'm really curious. I want to back this up, and I, and I think the listener will pull a ton out of this out. Um, you're in a situation 
you're not prepared for this. No. Um, but you find yourself just leading to do this. Sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I learned a long time ago and I, the adage that I, I coined is the world is led by those who show up. The world is run by those who show up. But it's almost this idea like there's, there was this vacuum in leadership and vacuum in somebody to do the work. And it sounds almost like you were kind of just sucked into that role. Um, how did you step in it? What was it? A, some, were you listening to a still small voice that was leading you? Did you just see something need to be done and you had the contacts or how, how does that happen? Well, things happen in steps. So one step was during that week, there was a Bulgarian businessman that was part of the conference that was limping. He had a pain in his knee. And the way he described it, and he was not speaking perfect English, but he said, it's like an, it's like a nail has come up from his own bone between the two bones. And so every time he steps on his, on his leg, it's like that nail, which is actually a growth of the bone itself, Mm -hmm. pierces against the upper part and he's in pain. And I prayed for him and that thing disappeared and he was walking perfectly well. Hmm. So that sort of, you know, people were talking about that. And then people were asking me, so what do we do about church on Sunday? And because then, they saw you as a leader, because God had worked through you. Well, I, I suppose so, but that's a sort of conclusion. But it's like, God put the spotlight on me without me wanting to. Right. And so I went to those two because I had come during that week. I was visiting people. So I had visited that pastor and I had also visited that American bishop of the Assemblies of God churches in Malta. And so I had already known them. Mm. And so I spoke to them. I think I called them and I said, look, we have like, I don't know how many, 60, 70 people from the conference who are staying over the weekend, they're saying, where do we go for church? But the church buildings in Malta were small. They would not fit all these people. Hmm. And so eventually we said, well, we need a larger space. I went to the hotel uh, owner and I said, we have this situation. He said, well, I'm going to give you for free the conference room. Wow. And then I spoke to those two pastors. I spoke to, to the to the to the pastor in Malta, he said, well, we, we will come with our church to attend that service, but we don't have people to lead worship. I talked to the American bishop and he says, my wife and I will lead worship. Hmm. So they offered to come and he was playing the keyboard. No, sorry. She was playing the keyboard. He was playing the guitar. And, and so we, and I, they, you know, somehow I found myself doing the, the, the preaching, the teaching. Okay. Hmm. And, and then actually I rushed to, to go sit in my seat after I finished my teaching because there was a pastor there, there was a bishop there and his wife. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to leave it up to them what they do now. But people came to the front without anybody inviting them. Hmm. And it looked like people were looking at me and I was looking at them thinking like, what do you want from me? Right. <laughs> and then, And then they come to me and they say, George, you need to go and pray for these people. And I said, you're the pastors. You go pray for them. And they said, no, 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 no. You go pray for them. And so I went to pray for them. And things began to happen that I did not know they were happening. Because hmm. people began to be healed. I, I found myself telling people things that I did not know about their lives. And they were crying. So I saw the Holy Spirit move in ways that I did not know that those things were possible to begin with. And I right. had never experienced such things ever before. And, and so we had an absolutely fantastic time. And I discovered about myself things that I did not know about myself. So I, I said that to say things were gradually developing. They were building up. And so what happened after that, I was, I found myself receiving invitations to go and minister in churches. And mm -hmm. that was building up and building up. And by the time we got into the year 2000, I was almost preaching almost every Sunday in some other church. Wow. Okay. And then we come to Monday, May, I think it was either 29 on th or 30, end of May. The And you're sorry, but you're still working your oh, job yes, at this yes, point. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm still working. <clears throat> and it's a very, I was a corporate executive, senior level. Uh, it was a very busy uh, work life, uh, professional life. 
But on my spare time, of course, over the weekends, I would minister in churches. And so it was at the end of May that the Lord spoke to me one Monday and told me that this is time for you to leave work and, and, and work for the kingdom. And um, again, I'm wrapping up because if I were to tell you the full story, it's really very, very long. But I received a prophetic word, word, and that prophetic word, interestingly, was given to me by an American missionary in, in Athens who called me and said, George, the Lord told me to tell you that, and now supposedly it's God speaking to me, I will send you to preach the gospel in many churches, in many nations, even till the ends of the earth. Now, that's back in 2000. Right. I have already preached in a number of churches, but... I still do that almost like a hobby. I still do not have the identity of a preacher. Right, right. And and even though if you saw it from the outside, you would say, well, that's obvious. Well, for me, it was not because my identity was a, a, a professional, a corporate executive. Mm. I was in the corporate world. That was my life. That was right. my everything. So, You're a businessman, not yes, a pastor. That's correct. Yeah. I, I don't see myself as a preacher. But then I get that prophetic word, and the Lord said to me that I have to quit the work so that I can work for him. So I put the pieces together, and I realized he wants, me, he wants to use me to travel and preach. Now, by that time, through interaction, and by that time, Internet is beginning to catch up. We didn't have Internet as now, but we had emails. Right. So... And, you know, when you, you start communicating through emails, then more people join the email lists, and, and then you begin to become aware of things happening in other parts of the world. So I begin slowly to become aware of the so-called itinerant ministry, which I had no idea it existed earlier on. And so I'm beginning to see where God is leading me, but I still makes, it still makes no sense because nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. And so I asked... And, and isn't it true that God's plan never makes sense to us? Absolutely. If you try to make sense, it's not God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was telling my small group um, this last week that how is it, you know, if, if we look at that, the story of history is the story of God. And we have this little sliver. And, and, and even on this podcast, as I have people come in and tell their story, uh, air quotes that you can't see, um, it's really not their story. My story is not really my story. My story is God's story told through his interaction with me. And when if you pick up a book, when do you get halfway through the book and understand it? You can't. So how can we understand if we're in the middle of our life, how can we understand what the story is? We can't. No. And yet we, we expect that we can. And I think if if we step back into that realization that we can't understand the whole story, we can't understand necessarily the themes, but if we back up and look at the whole of history, we can start to see more about who God is, more about his character, more about what he does, and then we start to go from walking in faith to walking in trust. Absolutely so. And so here you are in the middle of, you're already, to the observer, already doing it. You don't recognize you're doing it because you're still in your perspective of, of you. It's a, it's a matter of identity, what identity you have for yourself. Of George, the CEO with a nice car and the parking lot, a parking space, I would presume. Right. So you're at this point, itinerant ministry, you're starting to discover as a thing. Go on. So I, I, I had the choice obey or not obey. It was Monday, as I said. I, I, I went home and I, I really wrestled with God for seven hours. From 5 p.m. till midnight, I was wrestling with God about it. During three of those hours, I actually called and I was speaking on the phone with one of my disciples who I had led to the Lord in the workplace. Actually, there were six people that were colleagues at work with whom I had shared I mean, out of the people with whom I had shared, six of them received Jesus. Mm. And so in our spare time, we would be doing discipleship and things. So one of them was a close friend of mine. And so I called him up and I said, the Lord is telling me to resign from work. And so we, 
We spent like from nine till midnight. We were talking and praying. And so the wrestling mm-hmm. went on with the presence of my friend on the phone. And then it was about midnight when I said to him, okay, you know what? I'm giving up. I think I'm going to just jump off the cliff and, and, and see what happens. And so the next day I, I met with my director and I said that I was um, planning to not continue with the company. So we agreed that I would stay until the end of June to do a smooth transition mm-hmm. so that by July 1 I could be out of the company. And, and that's how it really happened. And so until the end of June that I was still at work, I took time to pray and seek the Lord about what he wanted from me and why he he needed me to quit from work. And so he told me a lot of things about my future, but of course I had no idea where it was headed. I had no idea. Like now I am 23 years later, because that was summer of 2000 when I came out of the corporate world. Now it's the summer, past summer 2023. So I'm like 23 years later, and all the things that have happened and all the places that I've been, which is more than 40 nations in five continents and hundreds and hundreds of churches. But actually, you know, it's not like I go one place only one time. With some of those places, I right. go again and again. And so the point is, all the things that I have experienced in the last 23 years, there is no way that if anybody told me back in summer of 2000, George, 23 years down the road, you will actually even be in the United States for, for four weeks and you'll be ministering in different places. I would say, well, you know, I think you're looking at the wrong person because that's not me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you talked about that during that month of transition, um, he showed you some things. Yeah. Um, but didn't show you a lot of other things. Um, what would you describe or characterize some of the things that he that he did show you as he's preparing you for this life? Okay, I can share one experience. I was um, praying and asking the Lord, why do I need to resign from work? Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said is, I want you to start a ministry. And I said to him, but there are so many ministries around and almost all of them need help. And I was already serving and helping ministries. And I knew how much help they needed. In fact, at that time, I had been with an American church downtown Athens, uh, which also had a Bible college. And I was serving in a way there. Okay, So I knew how much help churches needed and and, and ministries. And I said... Well, I can help the ministries that need help. Because remember, I did not have the identity of a pastor. I did not have the identity of a preacher. And I was not interested in preaching. You need to understand identity is very important. Right. right. My identity is I am in the business world. I think business, I do business. I, you know, it's not for me to be a preacher. And, and so, and, and when the Lord told me, that he wanted me to start a new ministry, and I was resisting, and I was saying, there are so many ministries, why do I need to start a new one? And where I was sitting and looking out from the window, it was sort of a garden, like a small forest, many kinds of trees. And there was one particular tree that suddenly my eyes got fixed on that tree, and then I heard in my spirit, just because there are all those different trees around, would you not have planted that tree? Hmm... You got it? I do. I, I do. froze. And then he con- when he realized that I got it, he then continued to say, the tree that I want you to plant is not just one of the same trees, just another one. It's a tree that will produce a fruit in my garden that now there isn't. Mm. And so I knew I was supposed to plant a different tree that would produce a different kind of fruit that was not in the garden of God at the time, and I don't know if that garden means generally or just in Greece, but three years later, he asked me to start a house of prayer in the center of Athens. That's another story. Right. So, so I said, okay, I, I will start a ministry, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. I just don't know. I, I will wait to see how things will go. 
And so really what happened in the next three years, over the next three years, when I started receiving invitations to go and minister in different places, I began to slowly embrace the new identity of a preacher. And I started understanding some of the things God was doing through me that very few or no others were doing, especially in some places. So, so the Lord was opening up doors that only God can open up. I mean, imagine you don't know anybody in Scandinavia, and over the next few years you find yourself going to the Scandinavian countries over and over, like two, three times a year, and ministering in different places and receiving invitation after invitation, one place, the other place. And, and, and you're just observing of that as a passive observer. You, you, you say, like, I don't know how it's happening. I just see it happening. Right. And, and there was one thing that uh, I asked the Lord in that summer. It was June still of the year 2000. I said, well, how are all these things that you're showing me and telling me, how are they going to happen? Because nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. And I'm not part of any missions organization. And there is no missions organization in Greece. And he gave me an answer that shocked me. And I said, okay. So he said, you don't need to do anything. I will open up the doors and you will go. And I said, what do you mean don't do anything? He said, you just sit home and do nothing. I say, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> but you know, it works because it's now 23 years later and I have not taken the initiative to do anything. And yet, I've been so busy over the last 23 years that it's as if I never stopped working. Right. So um, as we're kind of kind of coming down to a close a little bit here, one of the questions that's um, that's burning on me, and, and I see this is, we oftentimes think when we look at ministers or people in leadership or, or people that we look up to, we see how God is using them to affect His His will and His purpose for the people around them. He uses a teacher to to teach better understanding to a congregation. And we tend to think that it's a lot about that teacher um, and how God's using it. It's about the congregation, I guess. It would be maybe a way to say it. But in the last 23 years, you've been over 40 different countries, five continents, um, and you've, you've impacted a tremendous number of people. The, the question I have is, through all that time, it's not just about them but it's also about you and your relationship with God. How has, and I think, how has God changed you in the process of using you for this ministry? That may be the most difficult question you've asked me all this time. <laughs> Look, honestly, I do not believe that I know how to answer this question. I really don't. I'm going to make an effort. I'll say this. And obviously, I'm sure there are more intelligent answers that I could come up with, but this is what I'm coming up with right now. You know, you eventually listen to people preach, and, and, and you want to learn more yourself also from what others have to contribute. And so what, I, what I've heard a lot, and I say what I've heard a lot because actually this is not something that I've been teaching, is how we are God's beloved children and how we are heirs of, of God through Christ and how he loves us so much and he wants the best for us. I'm not saying that's not true. This is absolutely true. It's just that not, that's not part of my message. And, and, and how we have authority in the house of God and, 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 you know, all those things which are true, which are absolutely true. And, and how many people have preached that we are, God does not, no longer calls us slaves, but calls us friends. Hmm. Right. And all of that is absolutely true. The point, though, is that if I want to maintain my position and my status as a beloved son of God, the wisest thing I can ever do is remember the words of Jesus for those who serve him. Even after you've done all that you've done, you're still an unprofitable servant who just did what you were supposed to do. If I 
put my emphasis on my power and my authority and my sonship and how I have authority in the house and how I can call God my daddy in heaven. If I put the emphasis on that, I find that a very, very dangerous place where I can sort of begin to behave as God is my servant mm. and that God did everything for me and I am what it's all about. Right. Now, definitely that's my status in Christ. But if I want to maintain that status, what's advisable here is to remember that at the end of the day, God purchased me. I was a slave of darkness to become his holy possession that I may serve him as a faithful servant who just does his duty as he is obliged to. And I don't know if you can put those two together into one, but it's like a coin. It has two sides. You need both sides of the coin. Right. And some people, we choose to look at the side where I am the head, mm. and some people will choose to look at the other side of the coin where I'm just a servant who washes people's feet. Well, I advise, let's make sure we don't lose focus of the fact that at the end of the day, we've been called to be servants. So the more I serve him through the years, the more I realize that I'm just a servant, that I'm just simply doing what I was purchased to do. I don't know if you liked my response, but that's the most intelligent answer I could come up with right now. Well, I think it's, a, I think it's an excellent response. If, if um, You know, I see um, there's evidence that he continues to use you. Um, and I know myself um, the joy of being in a situation where I get to be used by God and the joy of seeing firsthand him change other people's lives for people to be healed, whether it's physically, emotionally, uh, whether they've, they find spiritual freedom to be a part of that process, uh, is exhilarating. And I can understand why some people want to chase that exhilaration rather than, and get caught up in that rather than chasing God. And I think that's the, the thing that I've seen in your life is that you have consistently pursued him. And as you've pursued him, he has given back to you. No comment. <laughs> well, with that, since I've got you no commenting speechless, uh, we'll wrap up. Um, I want to say thank you very much for coming today. And um, thank you for inviting me. Uh, every one of these shows we uh, we put together, I listen, and I just think about how much people are going to hear and, uh, and how they're going to be impacted. Um, and oftentimes those people are brought to mind. Uh, and even today I was thinking how much uh, how many people I want, uh, actually specific people who I want to hear our conversation because I know they'll be touched and, and encouraged um, and moved to a greater, deeper relationship with Christ. So... Uh, George, thank you so much thank for, you. for taking time out of your very busy schedule. I know you have. It's my honor to be here. Thank you. So this has been the Who Is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk. And I hope, just like me today, you have gotten a better picture of who God is. Um, and I encourage you to step into that relationship, to ask God, seek God, uh, that, um, that you might know him and know him better.